Welcome to the Maverick Mindset Podcast, a podcast that will explore the stories of people who have chosen to take life into their own hands, in their own way, and define what success means for them. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and maybe even learn something new. My name is Romeo Santos, and I'll be your host. This is the Maverick Mindset Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to the show. My name is Romeo Santos. You can find me at Red Anchor Properties on both Facebook and Instagram. I also want to give a special shout out to Boo Dixon for our awesome intro music. Thank you very much, Boo. I am very, very, very excited to introduce all of you to our special guest today, a man that I have known for many years and grown to love. His name is Marcus Bradley Donovan. Marcus is a lifelong hospitality pro who spent 23 years cooking and became a head chef at the ripe young age of 24 years old. After spending 16 years as a head chef, an unforeseen injury caused him to change direction and move into what has now become his second true love, producing podcasts and starring in his own podcast, The District of Misfits Show, formerly known as DC as Fuck. And welcome, Marcus Bradley Donovan. How are you, brother? It's been a while, man. Good. I'm always good, man. It's good to see you again. It's been a long time. It's been a, been a long, long time, man. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. So, so we are, um, you are helping me actually with this endeavor of Mavericks Maverick Mindset podcast. So thank you very much You're for welcome. your love and your support through that, um, which I think is probably a good segue into um, a little bit more about what you're doing now in the podcast world. Please share share some of that with us and where everybody can find you. Well, first of all, let me get it out of the way. Uh, Marcus Bradley Dubbin, better known. My superhero name is the Pasteurized Chef. Uh, I am also, you can find me at crushingdc.com and crushingdc against all social medias, Pasteurized Chef on all social medias. And my show, The District of Misfits show, it can be on, that's our website as well.com and on all social medias. Uh, we try to keep it simple, but I started on podcasting with a company called One Love Massive about, I don't know, seven, seven years ago, five, six, seven. It's been a while. About the same time I, I was working with, uh, working with you, I started doing this endeavor with a friend of mine, Molly Rulin, who now mm. owns uh, Hardcast Media. Uh, so we, <laughs> funny story, we were actually in her kitchen drinking a bottle of Jameson trying to come up with some ideas because I wanted mm. to do... She owned the brand DC as fuck, and I wanted to do a show called DC as fuck and interview basically a similar show like this, but it ended up turning into a drinking show with a podcast problem. <laughs> so I ended up helping her. I helped her start her media company, um, and we were doing a lot of podcasts. We started doing other people, and I was a lot behind the scenes. And then eventually she was like, hey, remember that show you wanted to do? Why don't you start the DC as fuck show? And then that's just how it happened. And it was awesome because we were on T Street, and if you're familiar with Washington, D.C., it's right across the street from uh, the Howard Theater. It's where our studio was. So it was really fun to show up, look at the Howard Theater, and then walk across the street and actually produce some shows. And we produce some wild, wild, ridiculous, over-the-top shows. Like, we, we created a game called The Game of Fuckery, which was ridiculous. <laughs> and it's very humbling to go back and watch some of these shows. Where we've come from and where we are now it's just it's like night and day so it's 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 fun and then like you were saying i was in the kitchen for a long time so that was like my side project and then i had my injury which i got which i hope we talk about which i yeah, for sure in the kitchen 
Uh, so I had a TBI, which is a traumatic brain injury, forced me out of the kitchen. And then, so here I was on disability for a year, had nothing to do but time to think about my next move because I knew I wasn't going back into the kitchens. I just physically, mentally couldn't do it. My anxiety for it. My mental health was already shot. After 26 years in the industry, I can't fucking, I can't do it anymore. It's like, it's a young man's game and my brain just couldn't handle it. And just, I couldn't deal with the bullshit anymore. Um, so I was like, what do I want to do? And my first love before I became a cook, I wanted to go into communications, into radio. Mm. And even, I, I was even a house DJ and I wanted to go into that. But then like I needed a summer job, uh, started washing dishes at 14. So I was like, yeah, I just go back to restaurant and like wash dishes or cook, make salads. And I started off as a dishwasher. And then by like midsummer, um, I was making Caesar salads and front. <laughs> and then, you know, but seven years later, I became a head chef of a restaurant. So it was really, okay. really um, a fun ride. So, so. Where, where, are you, where are you from originally? I'm from right outside of Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Okay. I say Rehoboth because nobody knows Georgetown, Delaware. Even, okay. Even I know have, Georgetown. Well, you have to drive through it to get there, but it's much right. easier to say Rehoboth Beach. Like, right. I was traveling a lot. I, if I say Rehoboth Beach, and, or I would say Delaware, they'd be like, what state is that? And uh, <laughs> I just ended up saying Washington, D.C., so it's just like, oh, what the fuck? I mean, your uh-huh. education system is ridiculous. Yeah, public education at its best, right? <laughs> and it was sad. So, yeah. All right, so what what was it like growing up in, in Georgetown, Delaware, for those who don't know much about Delaware or even the beach scene down there? Well, it was in the middle of the county. So it was like, all right, so if you go east, it's the beach. And the beach mm-hmm. was more like, it's not a big city by any means. It's not even a city. It's a big town. But mm-hmm. everybody from like D.C., Baltimore, Philly, go down there. So there is a lot of city folks there. And a lot of people from Jersey started moving down there because it was cheaper than living in New York and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But then on the west side of where I was, because we were right middle of the county. So the west side was a bunch of fucking hicks, rednecks, a country boy. <laughs> so it's just like I learned a lot. Of, I drank a lot of Jack Daniels by a fire pit listening to uh, Hank Williams and shit like that. Okay. So I learned, I mean, you know, they all went hunting. I don't like to sit in the woods with piss all over me, deer piss all over me in the cold. So I'm like, I'm not doing shit like that. Like that. So, and then I had all my beach friends. So I was like right in the middle. So I had multiple like sectors of friends. So I, I, I think that shaped me in a lot of ways. Cause I saw a lot of people for who they were and the mm. difference, the different types of people. So then once I found my niche in the beach area, it just came, it just kind of became a thing. And from there, you know, I wanted bigger beaches. So then I moved to Ocean City and then like so mm-hmm. on. And then I just started traveling. You know, I had a girlfriend and she went to school in North Carolina. So I was like, fuck it. I want to get out of Delaware. Um, seven, I'm 18 at the time. So moved to North Carolina. Uh, she went to school at Elon. So if you're familiar with that, it's in between Greensboro yeah. and Raleigh. So we yeah. were able to go party. I mean, we were college kids. I mean, I wasn't. I went to college for a year and a half and realized I hated it. And I enjoyed cooking because at the time I was cooking. So I was like, well, I can eat, work and travel because everybody always has to eat. So I always know a job in that industry. And I enjoyed it. I was really good at it. Mm -hmm. So then I was living there, but it was in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like it it, it just kind of sucked. And I found myself back in with a bunch of like country people. And I'm like, I don't like this. So I was going to go to Myrtle Beach, but I made a stop in Wilmington, North Carolina first. And it was just like a big Rehoboth. And I just fell in love with it. Spent a couple of years there. Uh, and I ended, up, I ended up moving back to D.C. 
after Wilmington and, you know, just kept traveling. I went to New Orleans. I lived in, I went back to Wilmington. I, you know, just so I've been up and down the East coast. I mean, I really go and live anywhere else besides the East coast and the South. Okay. And you were chefing in all these areas all the way through. I mean, that's how I ate, you know, yeah. <laughs> they don't pay line cooks much. So I, right. you know, my to go boxes were very heavy. <laughs> right. Right. Family meal. All right. So what was Wilmington your favorite place out of all those places? Or do you have another favorite? Uh, no, nah, New Orleans by far. New Orleans. Okay. I try to go back at least once a year. Mm. I still have a few friends that I do. I have my routines. I go down there to see my friend Tara, who was a cook with me in New Orleans. We worked for Susan Spicer, who's a pretty renowned female, mm-hmm. or I shouldn't say female chef, a, one of the top chefs in the world. I mean, 1991, I think she was the best new chef in the world. So, and she's actually, the, her character, if you've ever seen the show Treme, the female chef they have there, the blonde, that is supposed to be Susan Spicer, so. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. I mean, I was 22 and, in New Orleans, so that was my, got it. my worries. Was, uh, yeah, 22 in New Orleans, you were probably getting in lots of trouble. <laughs> the worst was my laundromat was a bar. So <laughs> we would, <laughs> we would go, it's a place called Igor's. <laughs> A place called uh checkpoint charles igor's was st charles street which turns into bourbon street mm-hmm. would walk like five blocks and get there all clothes you know and trash bags and shit get there start a laundry with all good intentions go play some pools start drinking some booze three hours later we're hammered so we don't fold with our clothes so we just put them back in the bag and walk it's like santa claus drunk santa claus walking back to like where we it was it was a lot of ridiculous times in New Orleans. Like it was, it was good. Maybe, okay. Yeah. Really. Fun. All right. Did you learn, you learned to speak any Creole? I did. Creole and Cajun was, uh, is the only second language I really had besides Spanglish. Okay. I actually got to use it in Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, when I owned a restaurant, there was, we had a bunch of construction crew and a lot of them were for Alabama. And mm. we had this one guy, uh, Charles, I believe his name was. And, he couldn't speak English. He sp- spoke Cajun. And mm. I was the only one that could understand and talk to him. And they were like, can you tell me what he's ordering? Like I would have to <laughs> talk to him and order for him. And it's like, it was funny. The first time I met him, we were in the mm-hmm. elevator and he was talking to another one of his buddies. And I started talking to him and he was just like, all shocked and shit. And it's like, one <laughs> kid in Ocean City, Maryland can fucking speak Creole with him. And it's like, <laughs> So for those for those who don't know what the hell Creole is, that, explain what that what that kind of sounds like or what that mix is. It's almost like Irish Gaelic English. It is really jumbled mouth. They stretch the words out and throw some other accents into it and like some of their lingo. Like like one thing is like when every culture or every region has their different things. But yeah. just twist it and it's just that it's just the words just drawn out and it's jumbled. It honestly sounds like they're talking with stuff in their mouth. So it's just like, you just gotta, you gotta hear through the dialect and you know, so. Now, now how, how did you, like, what did your parents do? How did you get into food and beverage? All right, so my mother ran hotels. Oh, okay. She, so she did that, so she was well connected. That's not actually how I got in. That's kind of like, when I got in, we, her and I kind of have a, had a connection after that. Okay. My mother was a banker. And I wanted, I read a book by J.W. Marriott. I forget the name of the book. And I just remember him talking about how he started with a 13 seat restaurant. And I'm like, fuck, I want to, this dude's intelligent. I love everything he was talking about. I wanted to go into it. 
So I wanted to work for a hotel and my father bankrolled somebody and not through him, but through the bank in ocean city. It was the Fenwick Inn hotel. It was called Jordan's rooftop. Yeah. Okay. He helped start Al, who was a uh, black business owner, but nobody back in the eighties would give him a loan, you know? Mm. So, but my father, he's like, fuck it. Yeah. You're, you're a good man. You're good. I mean, he saw him for what he was. He didn't see him for what, you know, that bullshit back then was. And dealing mm-hmm. with money, like me and my father talk about, it, like there was, when my father was a banker, he never talked about it. But now that he's retired, he's kind of like letting loose a little bit. So he's like, oh, yeah. he's like, but he's talking about the regulations and what the bank people tell him to do. And he really, he never really followed the rules. He's kind of, he's the man who trained me. So it's like, <laughs> so when I wanted to go back to what you question, when he, when I wanted to go into the industry, he talked to Al, Al brought me in. And my thought was I was going to wash dishes and then get into the hotel, work at the front desk and kind of get my way into management eventually in five years. But the cooking, the cooking bug hit me. And it, I was like, I don't want to get out. You know, this mm. is what I want. Well, I mean, you yeah. know, obviously, obviously you and I have that in common because we met in hospitality and, I I think we talk about this all the time that like hospitality is amazing for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's, it's a young man's game. Right. But it's like, I, I, when I talk to people about hospitality, it's like, you know, hospitality is, it's almost like a drug, right? Like it pulls you in with all these amazing things, but then if you're in it a little too long, you can almost start to feel strung out. Right. <laughs> that's how I was at the end like for the last year or two I just I my man tough was shit and like I was not a good cook I wasn't a good manager I didn't want to be there I didn't want to work yeah. 18, 19 hours a day 15 hours a day like and I realized my back hurt my feet hurt and mm. I was making great money but I was sleeping or passed out the time that I didn't have the work and it was miserable and it, was just, it wasn't yeah. wasn't a good way to live yeah. And, and, and you were always at the family events and you always had Saturday and Sunday off too, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's our, that's sarcasm listeners. For those of you who didn't pick up on that. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go with that and say that was an awesome excuse for so many years that I used that's true. Now, when I say my family, I don't mean my parents or my brother, of course. his nephew. I mean the rest of the fucking family. Cause sure. I don't like all of them. Okay. What's thicker than my coffee. So. <laughs> I just say my Jaeger, which ugh. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think, I think now more than ever, you're starting to see more and more people kind of have the epiphany that I had what six, seven years ago that you've you know had within the last few years, yeah. and I think COVID has really accelerated that, right? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think with COVID, I'm starting to see a lot more stuff on social media where people are like, "Fuck this." Uh, I like sitting in my sweatpants and working from home. Like mm-hmm. I had more time with my dog. Why am I working mm-hmm. five, six days a week? I'm going to do a four day week. And so like, I think that mindset is correct. Yeah. It's good yeah, for sure. Definitely good to see. Yeah. It, you know, I think there probably needs to be a lot of reform in that industry. Um, you know, that badge of honor for managers and chefs to work 80 hours a week is, is not really a badge of honor. It's just a, it's a toll on your health. And with all that said, you know, I think you and I would agree that hospitality has helped to form the people that we are quite a bit. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, being able to 
meet people from so many different walks of life, not only that you're working with, but those that you're serving and, and, and hosting. Mm-hmm. I, that, the, I, I find personally that my time in hospitality prepared me for business life in a way that I never realized in just the way that I'm prepared to talk to anybody from any setting at any time, no matter what they are, a dishwasher person that makes, you know, a, you know, minimum wage, or if they are a multimillionaire, that's a CEO of multiple companies. Doesn't matter. I can talk to any of them. Yeah. I mean, it's same with me. Like, I mean, I can clean up very well and I can dress down very well. So like, you know, I worked for Michael Jordan, you know, I was like, not his personal cook, but like, I was one of the ones that cooked in this room when he was playing poker and stuff like that. So I heard, <laughs> I, we had to sign waivers. So <laughs> I'm sure and it was through his divorce. So, oh boy. so we had like news media and shit around all the time. So we like, we, we had to sign stuff, but I heard some incredible, like ruthless shit from that guy. And, but oh, I, yeah. I had to talk to these people and, you know, working for the Redskins, I talked to a ton of football players and, you know, the general manager of the team. Like, so we were, I was around it, but it was the restaurant industry that kind of prepared me for that. Cause as a chef, you go to tables and you talk. And I worked on a lot of high-end places. So I was talking to high-end people mm-hmm. and, you know, I didn't, you know, I don't, I didn't like public speaking, you know, but now, you know, but I had a staff of like 30 that I had to talk to when I was like 27, 26. And I had to like get over those fears. Now I get on a podcast and I talk to thousands of people and I'm like, yeah, I don't have anything. I'm just going to start talking, you know? So it's, and so it's, it's cause of the restaurant industry that kind of beat it, beat it in my head, but you're right with the badge of honor thing. Yeah. Like, that was, that was like, I fed off that. Like you were saying it was a drug. Like I fed off, like I, yeah. I cannot work anybody. I am better yeah. than anybody. But it has yeah. the same mindset from other chefs that I hated because it was like cutthroat and it wasn't fun anymore. And it just kind of, yeah. it kind of sucked. Like I remember when you, when I saw you were like, I'm done, I'm burnt. I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, come on, right? you're awesome at your job. Don't leave, <laughs> don't leave us. Because I was selfish and didn't want you to leave. But two, I didn't think that could happen. Like, yeah. I, I just like, I couldn't imagine. We had a great team. It was like, we had a great team that was getting shot in the foot by the management that we were working for. So, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, between you, me, Teddy, Maria, and I mean, we had a, and we had a solid team. Unfortunately, the Lowe's company fucked us over. <laughs> That's my one. Yeah. yeah. So, well, you know, it, <laughs> I think the issue there was that we all had maverick mindsets, right? Like we're a little bit different. We like to do things our own way. We know we have instincts on how things should be or could be done. And taking us and placing us into a corporate setting with amateur was a was a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. Yeah. That wasn't gonna be good. That was not gonna end end well regardless. And it didn't end well. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean Teddy, who's was one of my mentors, Teddy Folkman, you know, I, I guess so. It was cross, uh, soul crushing for him. Uh, you know, I, I saw Maria, who's as stubborn as they come, not mm-hmm. jumping off the ship. Right. It just got to the point where I was just like, once we got a new general manager of the hotel, I was just like, this is going to be even more corporate. I'm like, I, I'm just going to jump now. Like, I didn't want to get fired, honestly, because I, sure. <laughs> I knew I was going to get fired if I stayed. Because <laughs> he just, I mean, I talked back to the guy. I mean, I didn't talk. <laughs> like you're fuck you but i was just like right I'm, I'm not wearing a hat dude like i'm not around food i'm expediting i'm not doing shit around food i'm not even touching food i'm not wearing a hat and 
and yeah, so it was just it was I saw the writing on the wall and I'm like I'm out, guys. Enjoy. I'm sure that had you in uh Jay Powell's office quite a bit. <laughs> I was in her office fucking all the time. It was funny. Yeah, that was funny. Me and Maria were always in uh it's funny because you see an HR person who when you see her out is like so polite and get her you get i'm sure you saw the same that you get her behind like the door when the door shuts like man fuck this place and like but you're again she's a maverick so she's yeah yeah she does big i mean she's doing good shit like she's working for some big people she's back in dc like so like but we it was good to work with people like that and people like that motivate you and telling you before a couple weeks back like i still use some of the uh the acronyms you you give gave us and some of the like techniques like the seven p's and all those things and <laughs> use that for the past five years in kitchen like ah. <laughs> but yeah fun time seven p's so everybody listening the seven p's is actually not something i can take credit for um there's an old friend of mine that that said this to me at one point um jennifer woodhouse actually so if you're listening out there jennifer uh, credit to you and um, the seven P's stand for proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. And it just resonated, right? I was like, yes, yes, that, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect, perfect sense. But, you know, it goes, it goes to all sorts of things, right? You know, f- um, um, failing to plan is planning to fail, right? You know, whatever it is, if, if you don't have some sort of a plan in place, while you can be a maverick and you can go out and do your own thing and be very entrepreneurial, there's got to be some sort of a plan, some sort of a system in place. So, you know, you you obviously found success in hospitality and you became a chef. Like, who are some of the people that were your models that that you followed? In, in, in the restaurant industry? Yeah. Or just in life that helped to kind of form well, like, your work ethic, the person that you were. Well, my parents, first of all, uh, all I mean, because they put me, my grand, well, and my grandfather. They, my grandfather owned a recycling plant and a junkyard and a button factory, also a politician in Delaware, friends with Joe Biden. So I was in the politics and the political world for a while. So okay. you know, I now can one up a lot of people by saying I know a president. So, yeah. <laughs> but they put me to work since I was like eight, nine years old, me and my brother. And then, you know, we grew up in that industry and I didn't want to do it. So I got into the restaurant industry. And then as a young cook, I read Kitchen Confidential. You know, Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I read it when it first came out and I eventually got to meet the guy, which I it was here in DC and I had I didn't have my sleeve, my all my tattoos on my arm yet. I had a bunch of burns on my arm and I, he signed in my book and he looks at my arm, he grabs my arm and he's like, you, you a line cook? I'm like, yeah. He's like, hold off. Cause there's a bunch of soccer moms and shit. And it was me and my buddy and, you know, it was our day off. And afterwards he just, he, you know, they had coffee there. We sat and talked for like 15 minutes and then he went on his train and I was like, that was fucking cool. You know, I got to see that. Yeah. That kind of inspired me, inspired me to do more and then just, just work harder like that, you know? Yeah. What, what an awesome dude. And I mean, you know, going back to the drain that this business will have on you, right. I mean, what an incredible life that was, you know, snuffed out too soon by his own doing. He had, he had made it right. Like in our eyes, like he had made it, he had a show, he was everywhere. I mean, he became a household name. I was devastated to the point where I was like, fuck him, Anthony, but he, yeah. You know, so it was, it was, it was, it, it was a, like you said, it was for me, it was a refresher about how fucked up this industry was. And when that happened, I was already in that mindset where like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. 
you know, and then a couple of months later I had my injury. So I was like, yeah, bye, I'm out. How did you find yourself from uh, what sounds like maybe a larger yet a mom and pop in Delaware? Mm. You kind of travel around to all these different places, continue to, to work. And then you ended up coming back and working for some pretty cool places in DC, right? Tell us about some of those places. Well, when I was, I had a restaurant in Ocean City, Maryland, and you know we could have kept. What going. was the name of that again? Sky, the Skyline Bar and Grill. Okay. We had that for two seasons. The winter was brutal, and it was right at it was it was like 2012. So like time sucked. So nobody had money. Nobody was really going to go on a vacation, and we could have survived another two years for what we had. Or, and if it was two good years, we could have made it longer, but we were just like, I'd rather throw in the town now, uh, cut my losses, take the L, let's move back to DC, let's work for some people. Cause I had job offers, you know, some, from some friends who were opening restaurants. Uh, and one of them was on A Street Northeast, it was a Mexican restaurant. So I got the, so after I shut down the restaurant, I was like, I'm just gonna do me right now. You know, I'm broke. And I'm not rock bottom, but I'm pretty close because everything I had was in the restaurant. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of devastated a little bit. Like I never lost in the restaurant. I was always successful. And then I finally like was had, to, I got humbled. Like I thought I knew 90% of the business. I realized I knew mm-hmm. maybe, maybe 45% of the business. Mm-hmm. So I basically, with the money I spent, I'm like, oh, I just sent myself to college about the restaurant industry and about life. And so I had to change my mindset. It was either like, be to show off and hard ass and just, you know, I had to accept that I lost. So I was like, yeah, I can either be miserable and stay here at the bottom where I can get back on that fucking horse and change my life and do what's best for me. And like, you know, all right, that was, that was a chapter in my life. Now it's time to start another one. You know? So coming back to DC, I had to change my mindset. I realized that I didn't want to be stuck in like one restaurant. So I, I worked for multiple people. You know, I came back. I worked, that's when I met Teddy Folkman, who had Granville Morris, which was very successful. Yeah. I started with Eric Bruner Yang with Toki Underground. Yeah. Uh, and just a couple other guys around who, I mean, our house hold names like those two, but like we're really good chefs. So, like, but I was, I didn't really have a schedule anywhere. So, like, I had like one set schedule with Saturday and Sunday brunch. But then when people called out of work, like these restaurants would call me and be like, hey, can you work? And so I was filling in my shifts and I worked multiple different restaurants, multiple different menus, multiple different staffs. So I was having a great time, you know, and it's because I had no responsibilities. I've had responsibilities in the industry for the past 10 years. It was great. It was like, I was like, <sighs> like I'm cooking all this good food. I'm, lear- I'm learning. I was learning again because I felt like I got to the point where I stopped learning because I was my own teacher at the point. Mm. And it just kind of sucked. I was, I was kind of burnt. So coming back, it kind of got me, my juices flowing again. And then, you know, I started getting, you know, the jobs again. And that's when I ended up going down to Annapolis after, after Teddy saw me, Teddy fell in love with my work ethic, put me on as a sous chef at Granville Moore's and then sent me to Annapolis to be the executive sous chef of the hotel because he wasn't always going to be there. So he trusted me. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and then after that, after I left there, I ended up uh, coming back and going and working for Jose Andreas at the MGM casino, which was fun. But again, it was that corporate setting where you had the MGM and then you had Jose. So you had two like clashing. I had two yeah. sets. I ended up just getting sick of it there just because of that. I mean, I put in two years. So I find yeah. that best. And then I went back and worked for Airbird or Yang, helped open up the line hotel. It just wasn't my cup of tea, you know? And see, I think before my failure or my like new chapter, 
I would put two years in no matter what, no matter how bad it was for me or how, how, how just mental health wise, it wasn't good. But I realized like, this isn't a good fit for me. I got to bounce. Yeah. And then I end up down to the overroom mm-hmm. working for uh, a shook who owns multiple, multiple restaurants. Yeah. Quite the restaurateur. Yes, he is very hard to work for. Uh, he had yeah. a, he had a great chef and Brian, uh, Moscatelli, actually, who was yeah. like from Aspen, from New Jersey. So mm-hmm. he's super one of the best t- chefs I ever worked for, but not really a good person. So it's just kind of like, I mean, he was, but we just didn't quit. Okay. Then, you know, and that was a great place because, I mean, I woke out of the restaurant and I see the White House. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't care how long I've lived here, but like, when you see the White House, no matter who's in there or you see the Capitol, or you, it's just still nostalgia. It's like, ah. And it makes me realize how cool it is to live in this city because you see it. Yeah. But yeah, and then at the old room is where I suffered my injury. And it's, you know, that was it. That's when I finished. That was it. That was it. T- take us back a little bit. Uh, thank you for taking us through that journey. But take us back a little bit when you um, had to shutter that restaurant. I, you know, I've experienced that as well. Like, what, what do you think caused that restaurant to fail? We were not prepared. Mm. We, we, we were overwhelmed at the time before I was running three restaurants as the executive chef court. I was the corporate chef and it's mm-hmm. in Rehoboth. It was Rehoboth Lewis and Milton it's a place called Irish eyes, you know? Uh, and when I came in there, they were like a frozen food kind of place. Like everything was out of the freezer. I did things from scratch. I bought a baker. And so I changed their like whole culture for a little bit. I was there for like five years. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. there for five years, changed the culture, you know, got, Beforehand, like, and I could tell I was doing well because when I first started, my applications were garbage. By the end, I had culinary students coming by, mm-hmm. other cooks in town. So I took that as I patted myself on the back, like I'm doing something. Yeah. And you know, in Lewis, we were doing thirty thousand dollar days. You know, and it was just like, and then we had Rehoboth making another nine to ten, and then we had Milton making five and six. So it was like, all right, mm-hmm. I can run a restaurant. It was one of those things, like this. You know, I enjoyed my time here. My run is done. I'm going to leave. So the crash happened right at the same time that oh, I was making these moves. So we opened up the restaurant in a bad time. I thought I knew more than I did. Uh, we took over an 11,000 square foot restaurant. Whoa. Exactly. I should have done a fucking 20 seat restaurant. But mm. we had a room. And it was a funny story. Mm. It was my first restaurant job. It was Jordan's Rooftop on top okay. of it. And so I thought, I was like, oh shit, I'm buying my first restaurant that I worked in. And, you know, it was just really difficult. We remodeled, we put like a quarter million dollars in and pumped the place up and just it, we were always behind the eight ball, I felt like, like constantly. Mm-hmm. So we could just never get out and we'd have a great week. And then this happened and I, we had a bar manager stand, steal like 10 grand from us. It was just like, and it was, it was a personal friend of my business partners. So I didn't pay it no mind. And then like, we're looking through the numbers, like what the fuck? Like, how is this happening? Cause we weren't even looking in his direction. We were looking, yeah. we were looking at each other. We were looking at everybody else. And then, so after that it was just, you know, it was uphill battle. And then, like I said, it, we could have kept going for another couple of years, but then we were just like, eh. and it hurt. Cause like I said, yeah. admitting failure sucks and we didn't want to do it, but like, I didn't want to put any more money into it. And, you know, there was a lot of nights that I did not sleep for two years. There was a lot of nights where I cried a lot. 
there was a lot of nights where I was sleeping on a bed on the floor because I had to sell shit to pay rent. Mm. And here people, I mean, I own a restaurant, but yet yeah. I'm eating fucking ramen noodles. So it, it was humbling. It, it hurt, but it had to be done. I had to rip the bandaid off. So what do you think you learned most out of that experience? I don't know everything. And you need, you need a great team around you to be successful. Cause before I c- thought I could do everything and I didn't need anybody else. You know, I could train people. I could do this. I can do that. And then I realized, no, you can't, you can't, you, you're not, you don't know everything. You can't do everything. There's only 24 hours in a day. You need good people around you, people you trust. That's the only way you can move and be successful moving forward. That's, my- a, that's a, that's a huge aha though. Right? Like a lot of people don't get to that. Yeah. That was a huge aha. I mean, yeah. At 33, learning that, you know, because I thought it was hot shit opening a restaurant and thought I knew it, like I said, everything. But like, yeah, that was my aha, aha moment. And that's when I realized I have zero dollars in my bank account. I'm going to make move to D.C., live in a construction site because that's the only place I could afford and make something for myself. And so I started I had to start from the bottom, you know, scraping. Yeah. You know, I had two bags in my name. Mm. You know, sometimes it takes that getting knocked off the horse, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I know I know. There's been a couple times I've been kicked off, not even knocked off, kicked off my horse. Mm. You know, exactly. talking about talking about you know uh, um, what is it when they're uh, jousting, right, with the sticks? Like that's what it felt like, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> right? yeah, and uh, and and I I feel like as painful as those moments can be for us as humans, they can be the most powerful also. If you take them and point them in the direction of what can I learn from this it's, and you don't wallow in it. It's what you make of it. Like I said, yeah. I could have sat there and, and stayed at my parents' house and, you know, lived off them for a couple of years. till I got my stuff back together, but I made the decision not to, to be sad and miserable and get up, back on that horse, move back somewhere and, you know, suffer for a year or two till I got myself back on my feet. But I wanted to do it on my own and I had to do it on my own. So it was very, it's, it's a lot, it's very rewarding. It's the next chapter essentially. Yeah. It was. Why was it so important for you to do it on your own? Because I'm the one to put myself in that situation. You know, my decisions led to that situation. Wasn't anybody else's, you know, I just, and plus I didn't want to live in a small town. I wanted to get away from, I, I wanted to get away from the thoughts and my memories of that place. You know, like I just didn't want to be around that area. I was still like sensitive from that whole time frame, And I wanted to go as far as I can go. And I, but I didn't want to go too far. Like DC for me is close enough to my parents, but far enough where I don't have to sit, think or hear about my failure. And that's how I looked at it at the time. Like now I'm fine with it. Like, I'm like, oh, that's where my restaurant was. I can certainly understand that. You know, we, when I, when I first kind of, one of my mentors, a gentleman named Mark Weiss. um, I know. Yeah. Mark Weiss. Yeah. You know, Mark from the Lowe's, right. Um, He, he saw something in me before I saw something in me. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and he gave me a lot of opportunities and he gave me enough rope to, to, to do what I needed to without completely hanging myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I respected him and loved him so much for that and still do, right? Still do. And he had this restaurant, beautiful restaurant uh, concept, probably just a really bad name, but anyways, called a Gwen, spelled again with two N's, right? 
it's a Gaelic, it's a Gaelic term. And if you look up the Gaelic term, it's like inside us, come with us. So it's all kind of like weird, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, he's a New Zealand guy and New York guy, and he's just very, very smart, very smart guy. Oh, so yeah, so I met him in Rockville. I was bartending at a place called Timpano Italian Chop House, right? And I was in the thick of just living my best, um, my my best undisciplined, you know, ridiculous nonsense life as a bartender at Timpano's, right? You know, up till 4 a.m. doing all sorts of nonsense with friends and, and, and you know, sleeping until 10 and still being young enough that I would have to go out for a three mile run to sweat it all out so I could do it all over again the next day, right? And, and he finds me and he takes me into um, to his restaurant, ends up making me a GM over time, like a short period of time, that restaurant fails, didn't, that wasn't so painful. But then, you know, we come back down to DC where he had his first restaurant. I end up taking over as a managing partner. Fast forward, that restaurant unfortunately closes as well. And Fabio Trabocchi takes it over for Casa Nona. Okay. And I'm telling you, it took me, it took me two years before I could go into the space. I get it. It took me two years before I could stomach it to go into the place, you know? Yeah. Like seeing an ex-girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, I don't like that guy. Fuck that guy. Like, ah, I don't want to see him. <laughs> and he's like a professional athlete. Fuck this. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn, man, it stings. It definitely stings. Yeah, for sure. I think that's it's a learning moment as well. It's like you're getting over that hump. I'm like, ah, lesson learned type thing. And, yeah. But no, you're right. It's the, it fucking stings. Yeah, it stings. But you know, the, the pushing through and the persevering, right? Like I, I keep hearing that message in your story of, you know, it, it hasn't been perfect, right? And that's really what this podcast is about. It's not about, it's, this podcast is not meant to celebrate people that have reached the pinnacle of everything that they're doing, like so many other podcasts are out there, which are great podcasts, wonderful podcasts out there. You know, for me, the idea of this podcast is exactly this type of conversation. Like, tell me about the things that kicked you in the face that you were able to rebound from and continue to push forward and find a way to be happy in yourself, which, which brings us to where you are now, right? So you, you finally are like, I've had it with restaurants and, and, and then you have this injury that kind of like puts the stamp on it. Like, yep, you're done brother. And you've already been doing this other, um, your passion project of yours and podcast. So now walk us through that. We're, what's going on there besides the initial point that you told us, like, you've now got your own podcast. You've got a company now that you're working in and starting and owning that, that you're producing podcasts like mine. Walk us through all this and how you got to here. Well, uh, me and Molly, you know, she went her way, you know, I mean, it wasn't my company. So she did her thing. She was going big. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved the direction she was going in. So like when I on my break on disability, I, I was watching her journey, you know, and we were doing the podcast prior and I was just a shit show. Like, we didn't realize how bad my brain injury was. Mm. And, you know, I almost got fired by my two best friends, you know, like they were done with me, but then we realized my injury was really serious. So we took about seven, eight months off, you know, re, you know, took everything in, you know, got my shit back together, you know, got my mental health where it needed to be still not with the injury back to where I want to be, but we were able, you know, we started buying our own equipment cause we didn't want to like rent a studio. We didn't want to like have someone else do it for us. So, so, hold on. Let, let, let's actually, let's pause it. So how exactly did the injury happen? Uh, I was closing out my shift. 
I was scrubbing a station down and these, there was three levels of pots now. And over, we had these like cast iron pots. Mm. So they were small. I got hit by like the little saucepans, but they're like five pounds each. So I had three of them hit me. I had two hit me right here. And then like one hit me like on the neck and the back of my head. Mm. So, I, you know, my teeth locked up. I got this instant headache. I got angry. I didn't black out. Um, so I was like, you know, I just got hit the head and go back to what we were saying about like pushing through and, you know, it's like, I can do anything. I was like, you know what? Let me fill out a worker's comp. Not even work. comp. Let me just fill out an injury report just in case. And then, you know, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And my friend Val, who actually is part of the uh, Misfit show and our producer was like, she dealt with a lot of like injuries to the brain or like developing brains like with little kids and she started saying some of my symptoms i'm like no i'm just hung over i'm just this or i'm just that i'm just tired but then like i started getting sick like throwing mm. up and just like oh. crazy migraines and just like it got to the point where i just had i was like fuck it i have to go to the hospital and that's where i knew that was the end because they were like why come to work like you're okay nothing's wrong with you i'm like i have fucking my head hurts like this is not right so yeah, it ended up being, you know, I, they gave me like four days off the hospital did from work. And when I got back, they were just dicks about it. And I'm like, dude, I haven't, and the thing about, here's the thing about brain injury. It's an invisible injury. You can't see it. So therefore people don't think there's anything there. Mm. Like, you know, and that's the unfortunate thing about a concussion or the brain injuries. Like you yourself don't even see it sometimes. And you try to do like in the beginning, I tried to do my life the way I always did, run hundred miles an hour, like work, 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 work. I couldn't do it anymore. Like it just shut me down. So did they, did they diagnose you with anything specific? What did they end up saying happened uh, to you? Post concussion syndrome. So, uh, okay. Post migraine syndrome. I had I got whip flash. I had uh, chronic migraines. Uh, my eyes started fucking up. So my right eye, I forget the like technical term for it. But when I went to this highly um, respected uh, eye doctor, ophthalmologist, whatever the hell they're called, um, I did all these doctor terms. And now I learned so much about doctors, but I don't know all the terms. <laughs> he was like, that's not your eye messing up. That's your brain going to your eyes. So like my eye was taking in the stuff or my, what I was seeing, but my brain was interpreting it like this. <laughs> like oh, wow. vision was going like this and like that. So like, so I had to do, I mean, I was going to, Physical therapy, OT, vision therapy, speech therapy, mood behavioral therapy. I was literally in the hospital Monday through Friday. Wow. From like nine in the morning to like one. Multiple therapies for eight months. Nonsense. Wow. So that was my, that was my work. That became my job was getting health, healthy. Yeah. And, you know, I come home from vision or physical therapy and have vertigo for like five hours or two days you know it was it was it was really tough and like i still have a lot of those symptoms but from those therapies i know how to control them now so like if i start feeling something i know i know my limitations now what i can do and what i can't do okay you know you know i know i can't work more than two days in a row you know it's like i still try to help out in restaurants but i can't work in kitchens with the bright lights there's those things Mm -hmm. i i can't ride i'm not allowed to ride a bike not allowed to drive a car, not allowed to fly in a plane. Wow. So, fly in a plane or on a fly a plane? No, well, I definitely can't fly a plane, but fly in a plane because of the pressure. 
Really? Yeah. So, I mean, now I probably, I might try it like a short trip, but like during that and like, but my doctor's like, you don't drive. It's overstimulating. So like one of my therapists, think about this. You know how you have your cell phone, you know, the more apps you have open, the slower yeah. it is. That's sure. how, how my brain is. So the more things like driving the car, looking, looking, driving, radio, turn signal, all that overstimulates. I get hot. I get motion sickness and all that, you know, so <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a bad situation to be in. And I mean, I, I blacked out driving, meaning like I lost hours of time. Like I was driving to a doctor's appointment. Next thing I remember driving back and I lost five hours in between. Wow. They were like, we're done. But that's the brain. The brain, when the brain shuts down, the brain shuts down. You're done. You know, so. Wow. Yeah. So I've had to overcome that with that chapter of my life as well. So, you know, and that's the thing with restaurants. You know how you have that second one and third one, you just keep going, going. Sure. When you have a head injury, you cannot, you don't have a second one anymore. You have your mm. four to six hours and that's it. So like when I was going out, like, so if I went, if I had an appointment, I had to, my schedule, I had to, I had to put in an hour to go wherever I had to go, two hours to do it. And then an hour to get home. So I had to allow, I had to put that in my schedule, like my travel. So it was, it was, it was a pretty rough there for about six months. You know, that sounds pretty, that sounds pretty crazy. You know, it, I feel like now brain injuries are talked about more, but still not it seems to me like not as much it's as they should be. Invisible injury is the invisible injury. Like people, okay. like you can see a broken bone. You can see a broken hand. You can't see a broken head, hmm. you know? And I will say one of my biggest things that actually helped me was that my six point month when it, when it was another aha moment for me of how to take care of myself. I started going to therapy groups and I started being like, I don't want to say like the lead, but I was the, like the farthest in the group of like injuries. So to be able to tell people my experience about how it gets better and, you know, this is the techniques that I use. Cause I honestly being a chef and using my prep list and my dry erase boards mm. helped me with everyday stuff. Cause like I always had a notepad in me when I was a chef, I write all my recipes there. I had to write down my memories. Why am I going upstairs? What am I cooking today? What do I? Oh, wow. So yeah, like I had to, I mean, I still have to, like, I still have to do those things, you know, but now I'm two years in and I've talked to people who like nine years later still have concussion issues, you know? So I'm hoping, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to live with somewhat of this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Just got to, I have, it's about me managing it now, you know? And that's part of like, when the restaurant shut down Ocean City, what was I going to do? You know, so I, you have to change with, you know, I hate to say the new normal, but that was the, that was the a phrase we used before the uh, quarantine and like our therapies. That was, this is your new normal. You're no longer the chef who can work 50 hours a week. You're Marcus who needs to take care of his, his mental health and health. So, but once, like I said, I had a whole year and a half to think about my next move. So. All right. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that with us. Yeah. That sounds scary. I mean, who, who would think that, you know, granted, I'm sure five pounds, you get hit in the head with five pounds, but who would think a few pots falling off would, would, would do this? And I'm sure you didn't. And yeah, I didn't. It ended up being 20 pounds and it just, you know, just, it just sucks. It sucked, <laughs> you know, but 
it made me stop and realize I wasn't happy with where I was going. So I had to start a new chapter, you know? So then, you know, answer your original question. That's when I decided to form back up with uh, Crush and Boo and Valerie Torres and take that District of Misfits to the DC as fuck show that we created that people love. And we had thousands of followers, you know, and listeners. So it was like, how can I make this into my new passion project, into my new love? And how can I do things? Like, I like being in front of a camera. I like talking. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of like, if you want to make a, create a platform or if you want to be heard, you have to create your own platform. So I was like, sure. fuck, let's just create a platform. Go to social media, let's buy some stuff. You know, I knew I was getting a settlement. So I'm like, I can buy, I can build a studio. I can buy all this equipment and we can do our own thing because we're already doing it. You know, Boo Boo's a musician. He makes music. He's in the public eye. You, you know, Val already does what she's doing. She's in the public eye. She knows a ton of people between my two business partners. They know everybody in the city, I feel like. So it's like if need, we need a guest, one of them knows that person. You know, so I just sat back and kind of like that goes back to like knowing I couldn't do it all by myself. Yeah. So we all have our jobs. And it's it's, you know, so we started doing the misfits, started doing the show again. And then over this summer, we built a brand new studio, put our, we had, we call it like our to-go studio because okay. we, we were going to bars and restaurants. Okay. The premise of DC as fuck show was getting drunk with your friends at a bar and just sure. talk. Cause like <laughs> I, I was sitting there a couple years back and you know how you had this great conversation, like, man, I wish I recorded it. So I was like, I'm going to start recording it. And that's what it's we Great started. idea. Love it. So we started doing it and now we're like two to three years into a couple hundred episodes. Wow. Well, over a hundred episodes. And like when people, like when I talk to people who like, I don't expect this, who watch the show, they're like, you guys are funny as fuck. <laughs> and it helps that we work together for so long. And we just, again, we're just talking shit to each other. So right. our are so like seamless. It's like really, you know, it, it, we fuck up during the show. Like we can't, we mess up this, we mess it up, but we just laugh and just keep moving. <laughs> Fun. So that just translated in us like wanting to do more things together. Okay. And after, you know, we built the studio, like that was our main focus. And then my good friend, again, Molly, who owned DC as fuck, decided she's going to work off her laptop and move to Costa Rica. And she's like, I want to sell DC. Nice. Yeah. She's like, I want to sell DC as fuck. And I wasn't even thinking about it. And then like, Val's like, should we ask Val, uh, Molly about it? I'm like, ah, I don't know if I really want to do all that. And then we, you know, as a partnership, we, we had to ask Boo. And he's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. I'm like, all right, I guess we're doing this thing. So we called her and was like, hey, we would like to talk to you. Because she wanted to give it to somebody local, somebody who would rep it right. Sure. So, you know, we talked to her, we had a meeting and, you know, we were just like, listen, we've been there since the beginning. Who else can rock it better than us? And so, you know, she made the decision to, you know, give it, to, she gave it to her friends, essentially. I mean, okay. we didn't give it to her. We had to pay for it. But right, right. <laughs> And Boo already owned Crushing Apparel. So okay. we were like, right, we're starting this company. What are we going to name it? So we kind of wanted to get away from the DC as fuck. You know, okay. we took the DC and we took the Crushing and then made Crushing DC, which is, you know, PG. You can sell it. Yeah. It's a really good logo. Um, yeah. So the, all of a sudden we were a clothing brand and a podcast studio. So we're like, oh shit, we have two companies now. <laughs> so from going from nothing to one to two all of a sudden, over the pandemic, mind you. So we built a website this summer, uh, e-commerce, uh, crushing. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Let's see the. Hi. 
Hi. I'm sorry, everybody. We apologize for this uh, unplanned interruption, yet it is such a cute one. This is my daughter, Daniela. Hi, Daniela. Say hello. Can you say hello to the Maverick Nation? Hello. <laughs> She's adorable. She's going to be a Maverick someday. Oh, she already is. How's this one already is. Ready to work. You going? You're so hungry? Okay. <laughs> she says she'll let you know. She's so hungry. She, she loves daddy's cooking too. So I took something good out of hospitality, right? All right. So, so you guys, so, cause I was going to ask you, I'm like, all right, so you had a show. What made you decide that you want to start producing shows as well? And it was basically buying DC as fuck. And that was already a production company. Well, pri prior to buying DC as fuck, our main goal was going to be producing podcasts and okay. we, like well, boo would do a spinoff. Val would do a spinoff. I would do a spinoff. And then we built the studio. I mean, my roommate who does construction and whatnot built the studio with Boo's help. And then me and Val did a lot of the interior things. So I learned a lot of more things than I really wanted to learn this summer. Okay. <laughs> studio wise. So we, we, the summer came, you know, we were in talks with DC as fuck. Uh, we already planned on building the studio, you know, I got some money in from the settlement and I was like, fuck it. I I'm grab the two people I trust most. I also grabbed my former business partner in the restaurant, uh, Bill Mahalan. And these are the four people that I know if shit goes down, they'll still be there at the end of the day. And so we created two businesses and, you know, they go hand in hand, you know, we're our own marketing team. Like if we want to promote a clothing line, we have podcasts, we can make commercials, we have multiple streams on social media. So it's like, you know, I, I sent you my information. I got like eight different social medias, you know, well, not really eight. So like four, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's building that platform for yourself, you know, and eventually, yeah. you know, I want to do bigger things. I mean, this isn't the only thing, like this is the next step to the next step, you know, What's the next step, you know, obviously I want the clothing company to just like sell itself. Like we have the website, okay. DC.com. And what are you guys making? What are we making? Uh, we're making t-shirts, uh, coats, hats, like anything apparel. Okay. Like uh, fucking all types of new stuff. Like we're constantly coming up with new designs. Like we just came up with a new design, jolly as fuck for Christmas. Jolly as fuck. Okay. <laughs> We've also oh, I, I, I missed that somehow for a second until you said Christmas. <laughs> come up with DCAF, you know, with the black pride hand. Like we've come up okay. with we're going to constantly come up with that. We're connected with a, uh, a printer in Baltimore called Hive Synthetic. He just moved okay. into a new uh, shop. So we're like, we're, we're integrating him into our, like, our website. So we're like, we're helping each other grow. We're helping him. He's helping us, you know, and on our website, we're fo focusing on other local brands. So right now we have okay. DC as fuck. We have Crushing DC, the District of Misfits, and Upset the Setup. And, but like, mm. we want to bring in more local brands. Like we want to bring in restaurant t-shirts from local restaurants so we can help. Okay. We want to give our friends and family and people we don't know a platform to sell their things. And a community, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, cause if we all support each other and uplift each other, we all make it, you know, yeah. it's not about just me or you. It's about all of us making it together. You know, like you came to me a couple of years ago I wasn't ready. You came to me recently. I'm like, I got you. I want to support this. I want to see either way it was with me or someone else. I want to see you do this. Um, 
but that's just how we were. And, you know, on our website, we have what's called crushing radio, which, you know, eventually we're going to put all our friends music in all our podcasts. Mm. You know, then we have our YouTube channel, uh, the district of misfits channel right now. And we're putting uh, all the podcasts that we work with and other people's podcasts. Like, so we're just okay. trying to support everybody and just elevate. It's all about elevating yourself and everybody else around you. Mm. And, so, you know, the next step is, you know, I want Crush DC to be a multi-million dollar company. I want my media company to be bought by CBS, you know? So it's like, you know, keep pushing and keep moving and, and bringing that. I mean, I can't wait for the world to open back up so we can actually do more things for people and promote more restaurants and bars, yeah. local clothing shops and anybody around us who, if they're local, doing good things. I know? love that. That's, I love that. You know what I love about this meeting of this being recorded is that in five years, we're going to be able to go back and find out whether or not um, some of those things have come true, like CBS buying your uh, production company. <laughs> but yeah, it'd be nice in five years. And that's kind of what I think too. But like, man, remember when we were in a shed? You know, I mean, it's a nice shed, but you know, CBS is buying us. It's a big right. duty, you know, and that, it's just stuff like that. Like it's the whole, like, remember Bill Gates started in the garage type yeah. shit. You know, so it's like, yeah, it is what you make it and it's how hard you work. And I, you know, I'm in the studio shit most of the day and most of the night. Like I go to bed at three, four, five o'clock pretty much every night. Not because I'm fucking off is because we're doing shit. And the next thing I woke up, I'm like, I got to go to bed. Oh, <laughs> I got to wake up in a few hours. So it's just like, but it's, it's, I'm not stressed. Like I want to do this. Like it's fun. Like for me, this is fun. Like I get to produce things that I wanted to produce a long time ago. Like before I went into the restaurant industry, this is the shit I wanted to do. And now I'm doing it. So for me, it's almost like full circle. Completely. That's awesome. Right. Where they say, find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Yep. And that's what it is. You know, my only stress is because I want to sell more things. I want to produce more things, you know, and like a friend of mine bought something and I can see when people buy something, I can see it. So I saw a friend bought stuff and I'm like, Oh, thank you so much for buying this hoodie. She's like, no, you guys make me laugh and smile. I want to support you guys. And, then, and that goes from her watching the show. And then, you know, so it's like I said, it all works together. I'm like, oh, thank you. It means a lot. So that's, that's awesome. It's good, it's good when, you know, people say that to us. And it's humbling at the same time with, with the show, I say. Because, like, before we closed down, like, we would be out at a bar saw and somebody like, oh, Val, you're that person on the show. And I'd be like, what? It's my fuck. The fuck? I've been on the show longer than she has. <laughs> but it's but it's nice to have people like just recognize us who don't know us <laughs> first. But you get used to it. You know? And what? Yeah. And one thing you gotta do is do not look at the YouTube uh, comments. All I gotta say. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I I'm I'm a big fan of of Joe Rogan's podcast. I, I just I love the guests that he has and the format that that he does. And I love that. He, yeah. He says that all the time. He says that all the time. He says, you know, I don't read any of that shit. He's like, I'll go fucking crazy. He's like, I used to read it, but if I read that stuff, you know, because there are so many people trolling so much stuff out there, you know, pe people that just unfortunately. They're not Mavericks. Yeah. Yeah. They're not Mavericks. Right. Because, you know, what a, a, Ma a Maverick will come up to you if they had something to say to you and say it to you, you know, and, and that that's as, as beautiful as social media is and all these mediums where we can, you know, communicate and connect um, virtually. It's also, I think, started to create another subsection of community of people that 
are a lot bolder through that median than they ever would be in person. Oh, it's the keyboard keyboard warriors. You yeah. can't, can't get punched in the face through a monitor. I mean, no, and not that I'm condoning violence. I, I, funny, I the, <laughs> the funny story. I, I posted a video recently. I've been, I've been get feeling a bit more spiritual lately. So I've been posting videos like of things that I'm ingesting that I'm then trying to put back out into the universe. And so I've been doing videos on my, my personal social media and, yeah. and one of my friends reshared it. And it was one night, like 1130 at night. And I was very proud of myself because I, I think that Sarah and I had dinner and we had some wine. I might have had some whiskey afterwards. And, 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 I, and I read this comment. You would have been proud of me. I read this comment and this guy goes, um, how are you supposed to sell anything if you don't know what you're talking about, you big nose bastard? That's, that's what I read. And I was just like, I'm not selling anything. Like, that's what I focused on. I didn't even care they called me a big nose bastard, but I'm like, I'm not trying to sell anything here. So I responded to him. You would have been so proud of me. Hey man, God bless you. I wish you and your family a very happy holiday season. (laughs) (laughs) That hurts them more than anything. I'm telling you. Like when I, yeah, dude, I'm proud of you. Good job. (laughs) No, he just sat back. I was like, man, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, he wanted to fight for sure. And I don't even know who the person is, but I was like, this is unusual. Yeah. And I've been doing a lot more videos, so I'm sure that that stuff is starting to come. So it's a good that I'm doing it at this age and not my 30s, because I was I was a hot rod back then, boy. I mean, over the past few years, I've been banned by Facebook. I've been in a lot of Facebook like fights, <laughs> and okay. I got to the point where I didn't even care about the person. I just would be like, I'd say some foul shit, but it had nothing to do with the conversation we were having. And they were like, "What the fuck are you even talking about?" <laughs> oh no, I'm trolling myself now. Shit. <laughs> I threw, I threw them off the smell. So it's just like, they were like, they couldn't get lower to me. And it wasn't like I was insulting him. I just would say some weird shit. And they were like, I can't even talk to this guy. He's weird. <laughs> so yeah, but now, but now I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't get on there when I'm drunk. How about that? I don't want to feel Yeah. Like yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Good point. It's hard, right? I mean, you're like attached to it all the time. You know, we, we've got these mini computers and yeah, but- access to anything at any moment. That's when I go to Instagram or uh, Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah. do, do you do TikTok? I do. Well, I watch TikTok. I, I did a lot yeah. of marketing and I know I've been slacking. I know we need to do it more for our company. Um, but man, it's so addicting. I have spent, I'm not a lot. I've spent anywhere. I spent hours on there. I can spend, I can spend six hours on there at a time. Yeah. I it it, it can be, it can be entertaining. You know, have you seen the social dilemma? No, what is it? or heard about the social limit. So it, it's a it's a documentary about how oh, yeah, yeah. How, how like they like gear information to you. What's crazy is they know who you are before you even log in, right? So like I never had a TikTok, and I log in, and I guess I'm a 44 year old male. I'm married, so maybe that's part of the demographic as well. At the beginning, when I first logged on, until I started liking other people and like seeking out other videos, every single video was some girl twerking to a song. No, you're right. That's- and, and I was like, and I almost fell into the trap because again, I'm a 44 year old man, right? And I'm like, oh wow, she, oh wow. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm getting stuck in this. I don't want to just see this. I, and so now I see like comedians and that and, and, and also, yeah, all sorts of different stuff that actually is interesting, but you're right. Like, it's really cool, especially when people do like the voiceover yeah. and like, it's somebody that shouldn't be, their face doesn't match that voice and they're doing like a, a comedian's routine. It's hilarious. I love that stuff. <laughs> one girl i think she actually got a deal with somebody but she would do she would act like she was drunk on wine but she was just reciting trump <laughs> like, 
my god oh it it, it i think i know who you're talking about yeah yeah she she does yeah i have seen the social dilemma and i thought you were talking about like a tiktok show but like no no got on it was a bunch of like hot chicks and now it's a bunch of food comedian yep. political yep. shit. so yep. i didn't even think about that till that now yeah yeah it's 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 wild i mean you know it, it's crazy and what what that because i had just recently watched it and so when i got on that's why i like intentionally said all right i need to change who my avatar is because they must know already that this is my avatar and technically what my avatar tends to like to do when they're on this platform and i'm not really here for that right number one i don't have time for that number two i don't want to get in trouble right my wife sees all those (laughs) i'll be in such big trouble Oh shit, dude! It's <laughs> like, yeah, it's ridiculous, and it's the thing like growing up politically and, and like growing up and knowing the Bidens. Like, I grew up with Hunter, you know. I grew up with Bo. I knew this. Okay, people. wow. Well, every summer they would come down to Rehoboth to do like a summer jam jamboree and like do fundraisers. Okay. Father Biden were close. He like he spoke at his funeral. He spoke at like all the events oh, he wow. did. So like, you know, I got pictures of me with Joe when he had hair, you know. So. <laughs> It's kind of, you know, it, it was weird for me because now he's not really, I don't really have all the views he has. I mean, but mm-hmm. that, that being said, you know, it's kind of hard for me, like hearing people trash him. Like, I, you know, I don't want to get, I never got into conversations with people like, oh, I know Joe and he's, he never, in my fucking cousins, you know, and, you know, so I just let people play it out. I didn't obviously get involved because maybe younger me would have, but now I'm just like, you know, he is what he is. Yeah, well, that that can be a, that could be a whole nother episode that we can come back and do talking talking about politics. You know, I I I don't know if it is because I've gotten older or, you know, if maybe subconsciously it's because of, you know, what I do professionally as a as a real estate professional and I'm a public figure doing that as well. I just steer clear. Yeah. You know, and and I like to be as open-minded as possible. I may not agree with what you're saying. However, it is the United States and you should have the right to say what you want to say, even if it's infuriating or it makes no sense, you know, I guess anybody could argue any, any point right on any given day, depending on what side you are. And yes, there are moralities of how we should be treating each other as humans. And I think for me, that's the basic level, like treat people like humans and do the right thing. And, you know, I'm a capitalist, like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, capitalism shouldn't dwarf the important social needs of our society because we are as one, right? Like without each other, like it takes all of us, the whole, the, the whole, the, the, we're all, a co- we all have our place in the cog of the wheel of how the thing operates. And so if you take one of those cogs out, it may still run, but it's not going to run the same way that it should be running. I mean, you said it best. It's, it's about treating people right. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've steered clear of it as well. I mean, we talk about it sometimes on the show, but that's why I had Boo, because I let him do it. Um, but he's well-versed in it. So he knows, I mean, he has what he wants to say, and he says it and says it as well. And he, and he mm-hmm. I'm like, I second that a lot of times. <laughs> he's smarter than me when it comes to that. So I'm like, again, that's me not knowing everything. I'm like, yeah, that's your lane. Take it. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. It's just, it's all about uplifting other people and, it's just, man. I don't. I mean, it is a whole nother show. Like we have other po- political podcasts for a reason. You know, we have That's hip, right. we have a hip hop show called Grande Lock. They do hip hop. We have a, a political show called Ain't No uh, Ain't No New Thing. That's what they talk about. 
you know? So it's just like, you know, here we're uplifting. Impossible. Yeah, for sure. So. For sure. Well, listen, I think we did it right. I mean, we've, we've been on for quite some time and I think we've had a really fantastic conversation. I appreciate you so very much. You, uh, uh, you allowed my daughter to come in and interrupt and everything, you know, which was a, always a pleasant surprise. Um, hey, kids are the future, man. Kids right. are the future. You got to teach them. You got to teach them. Absolutely. I will say osmosis. Yes. I mean, that's, you asked me earlier about like who my, like my guiding light was. It was my parents because at a young age, they taught me right. Like they, yeah. It, they taught me right. They they didn't kind of like they let me learn on my own, but at the same time, just be like their golden rules: treat people fucking right. Don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick. You know, work hard and don't be a dick. And, work hard, don't be a dick. I love it. So yeah, be a bumper sticker. Yeah, it should be actually. You know what? We'll make one. Speaking of bumper stickers, have you have you started listening to Matthew McConaughey's new book, Green Lights? See, we. I don't want to. I know you. Oh man, good things about it. But I'm not a fan of him right now. I'm just oh. sit back. All right. Let the inauguration go through, and then maybe. Look, I mean, if you can put all the other stuff aside, you'll you'll love it. Yeah, it's very good. It's in line of what you know we're doing here, right? I mean, he found his way on his own way and and got there, right? So that was good, though. I mean, fantastic path. His story is very cool. It's a really cool story. You're right. Does he tell it in the book? Oh yes. He tells a story and and not boastfully in any way, shape, or form. I mean, very humbly. It's a it's it's a good book. Oh, well, he's a very humble person. So I'll take back what I said though. Yeah, and he's a very good storyteller. Very, very good storyteller. Yeah. I, that line that made him famous, an accident. You know, I mean, it wasn't. Well, he talks about that specifically. The like cow that that was an ad lib. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Yeah, it wasn't in the script. Nope. Almost nothing that he did was in the script in that movie. Yeah, they did say they just let him show up and yeah. go. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I guess that's what we're doing. We're just kind of winging. We're just going. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's the best thing about these podcasts. Anybody can start one and get on and, and talk. And, you know, the, the public will tell us whether or not. And even if they don't, if you enjoy doing it, you can still do it. I mean, what's the best podcast you like? The ones that are just kind of free, free, free gone, free lived and just kind of. You know, my, if you were to look at my podcast app, you would see, you know, just entertaining podcasts like slow burn is super cool. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I love the one about Biggie. Like that was awesome. Um, Heard that you one. know, so, yeah. So slow burn was really good. That was season two was, uh, was uh, Biggie. And then actually it might've been season one. I apologize. Um, I, I, I do enjoy Joe Rogan. I think he has great guests on there. And it's long. And so I just, I, I don't know. I enjoy that. Um, long. So yeah, but they are, I watch his in parts. But I, yeah, watch- I don't, I don't, I don't watch a whole lot of podcasts. I just listen to him because I'm always doing something, um, you know, at the gym, in the car, wherever I might be going. Mm-hmm. And then I have all sorts of podcasts, like, you know, uh, how to apartment syndicate because I'm obviously, you know, in real estate. So anything real estate related, um, Bigger Pockets podcast is another great one that talks about, you know, real estate investing and just investing in general. They have Bigger Money is another spinoff there. Um, Tony Robbins podcast. I really like his as well. So I'm kind of all over, but a lot of the stuff that I ingest, um, like I try to treat my vehicle like a mobile college, right? Like I'm just constantly pouring. I, I rarely listen to music anymore unless I'm lifting. If I'm lifting, I do need some music so I can stay a little bit more hype. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm not listening. Or if I just am in one of those moods where I get in the car and I just need to kind of jam out, then I'll then I'll get in. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I live pretty much all through my day. If I am not concentrating on something that I need to, 
I'll throw on a podcast and just listen to it. Or I, I watch a lot of YouTube, so there's a lot of podcasts there. So mm-hmm. I'll listen to them there. And sometimes I listen to them falling asleep, listen to them while we're doing shit in the studio. You know, it's background noise, but sometimes I'm like, that's some funny shit. You know, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's a good way for me to like relax. You know, because yeah. I don't watch TV all the time. I don't want to watch. I don't like watching dumb TV. I'd rather listen to something and learn. Yeah. Oh, that's just kind of my thing. And, and a lot of the podcasts I listen to, that's kind of what I get from them. Good stuff. So remind everybody where they can find you, Marcus. We can find me at the Pasteurized Chef on all social medias, crushingdc.com and crushingdc on all social medias. And also the District of Misfits Show, uh, com and on all social medias. All right. Very good. And you can find me on my two social medias. I'm old. So I have Facebook and Instagram. That's it. At Red Anchor Properties is where you can find me. And of course, this is being produced by the District Dog Face Studio. So thank you guys so very much for the love and the support. I very much appreciate it. We are very excited to be wrapping up episode number two with our marvelous guest, Marcus Bradley Donovan, which is a movie star name in itself anyways, right there. So this has been the Maverick Mindset Podcast. Thank you for listening. Be sure to catch us on social media. Um, Hit subscribe below if you want to continue to hear more of this amazing show. Uh, I'm Romeo Santos, your host. This has been the Maverick Mindset Podcast. Thank you very much. We're out.